Sometimes it's a lovely bake, but sometimes it's a bit dreadful. Welcome to the Gingham Altar. I'm Mac. And I'm Megan. Every week we tackle another episode of everyone's favorite baking competition, the Great British Bake Off. And after we've set our piece, we try to put our bakes where our mouths are and replicate some of the recipes from the day's episode. This week we are looking at Season 5, Episode 10. It's the final! It's the final. I'm sad. I'm a little I bit melancholy. I am a little sad about it. It's it's my favorite season, my favorite cast, or my favorite contestants, I guess is more accurate. But yeah, it's they start with some flashbacks to the beginning of the season. And it's crazy because it's like all these old friends that you're like, wait, was that this same season? It feels like they've been gone forever, but all such likable characters. Yeah, I felt the exact same way when they're like, Oh, that's right, Norman. It's like, oh, there's Val. I haven't thought about Val in forever. Yeah, like, this. oh, this was all the same season? Like, I thought those people were from <laughs> Jordan, Claire. Oh, man. They show up again later in the episode, which, by the way, is a, a thing that I love about this series, that all the contestants come back, and it's like for a happy party, and they don't get to compete, but they also don't have to compete when they're there right. at the end. Yeah, so, like, everybody's there just having a little champagne and sitting on the green and it's pretty special i thought it was a pretty good thing and uh, there was something in the intro when they were kind of talking and doing the voiceover at the very beginning where they're like you know over the course of this season that you know they have bared their baking souls and i was thinking i was like do you think that we have bared our baking souls i've, I've come awfully close i think that i've um shown my baking humility more than anything else. <laughs> it's like it's sort of ex- it's sort of exposed my dirty underwear drawer to all of the internet who cares to listen. But yeah, I think I think that we've we've done a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, I, I certainly you know have taken on things that I wouldn't have thought, and I think that that sort of experimentation and being proud of what I was able to get done and not getting hung up too badly on some of the stuff that didn't go so hot. You know, yeah. that's... <laughs> I feel good about this overall. This whole adventure, and I like the idea that in the future, I'll keep straying bit by bit from what I consider, not easy isn't the word, the, the stuff that's in your path. wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. Like, to move more into things that are where I can surprise myself. Well, speaking of areas to surprise yourself, the signature bake this week was Viennoiserie, and you best believe that I have that written out phonetically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And they had to make two different kinds, and they had three and a half hours. Which, after having... I did the signature. Me too. And after having done it myself, I can say that that is a pretty tall order like a what we found for a lot of the challenges it's not so much what you have to do it's the time you have to do it in that make right it. and richard Ooh. and richard even says he's like i'm sure somebody you know paul knows the secret to laminating something and making it perfect in three hours right i'm just kind of trying to figure it out yeah it's a pro baker thing i think where you, you need to turn out x number in y amount of time and you need to produce this huge volume of pastry in a working day but for the average baker like you and me it's more something that we do puttering along but yeah it was a tall order all the challenges were tall orders today and they should be it's the final and i will just say i could not find a compelling definition of what made something viennoiserie same because it just means pastries from vienna and i was like well surely there's somebody in vienna making everything (laughs) it's it's like a 
another very vague category, like a European cake. Like, excuse me. And so it, I think was, but you know, I actually got a book in the mail that I love and I I told you about it and sent you a couple pictures of it. And that gave me the best definition I had just by showing me what was in the table of contents. Like, evidently, this is what fits the definition. And I've got this book and I love it very much. So I want to give it a plug. It is Patisserie by Christophe Felder. And evidently, he is a native French chef and... I was looking for a book on patisserie back when we had patisserie week. The book did not arrive at my home until two or three weeks after we had concluded the patisserie week uh, podcast. So that didn't help very much. (laughs) But it took about a month because I was as cheap as possible and found what I think may be the tome on patisserie making by Mr. Felder. And it is pretty amazing. It says on the front, uh, Mastering the Fundamentals of French Pastry, 3,200 step-by-step photos. The book is 800 pages long, and it has kind of the photo breakdown of recipes that I have come to appreciate from Cook's Illustrated. And the idea is that with a photo, he can give instructions that are better than need until it's right which is what one runs into a lot with baking. And this, mine was a really good recipe, so I would recommend it. Cool. Mm -hmm. But, oh, but his definition of viennoiserie was why I brought that up. According to his definition of viennoiserie, it included all the croissants, those sort of laminated pastries, including pan au chocolat, all the versions of those, plus Danish and also brioche just enriched breads which to me seems like a pretty big spread yeah i guess it's just laminated and yeast is kind of what we're going for here. yep and i went with a brioche see and i did the pan au chocolat i wish i had done both and we can talk when we get there but i guess i kind of did a, a little piece of the finale as well certainly not the whole thing uh but i saw that and it was incredible <laughs> so we did a uh so there were a couple of things on here that I don't typically use, but I think might be interested. Uh, interesting. So Richard used a, used a creamed butter for lamination so that he could spread it a bit easier. Because, you know, whacking that frozen butter out into that square is hard. Yeah. And physically taxing. Right. You know, so unless you're, you know, pissed, you know, you, you kind of, <laughs> it makes you feel all manly. Yeah. <laughs> That never happens to me. I never feel <laughs> particularly manly, at least not in a positive way. And then Nancy was using freeze-dried fruit. Mm-hmm. And I use a lot of frozen fruit, but not a lot of freeze-dried fruit. I Have wouldn't you even know where to that? find it, really. No, I, I specialty food store. I was saying a baking supply is the best I could think. I mean, I don't. people can't freeze-dry at home, can they? No, because I... I was about to just start talking out of my butt. And I, I, <laughs> like, I was like, I know all about freeze drying. I was like, no, you no, don't. <laughs> no. Like, I was thinking, like, doesn't that require liquid nitrogen? And like, I don't think I, that's, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Maybe we're both right in talking out of our butts at the same time. But uh, no, that but, seems like something I've seen on a TV show. It does. Or possibly that one Star Wars movie with Han Solo. Right. No, I don't. I don't know. No, yeah. that can't be right because he wasn't shattered. He exists. He continued to exist afterwards. Anyway. So, yeah. So we don't know. There was a critique that Louis got that I didn't quite understand how the wording mm-hmm. so he did that cream cheese and raspberry pastry yep i wrote down 
how on earth does cream cheese add chalkiness? Right. It's the smoothest of the cheeses. It's like inherently moist and like chalky. Yeah. Like, I don't. mm, I was mm. like, are you evaporating this cream cheese? That sounds gross. Yeah. I don't think he did. I think is cream cheese different there? I don't know. But I'm glad you tripped on that, too, because as soon as she said it, I was like, Uh uh-huh. I mean, yeah. if it was a chalky texture, that's gross in a pastry. Correct. Yes. Don't ever want that. But I'm thinking of like, because Danishes have like a creamy, thick element sometimes. And I don't ever think of the cheese part of Danish as being chalky. Yeah. No. Oh, and Danish is my favorite baked good, bar none. Really? I didn't it know is. that. I adore a Danish. Is when it like you co- even like a bad Danish? Like a supermarket Danish? Yeah, I will, eat the, I will eat the shit out of a supermarket. <laughs> Is there a favorite flavor? I I just love a, a standard cheese Danish. That's my favorite. When I was in college, we used to go grocery shopping, and I would get one of the bakery cheese Danishes. And then when we got back from the store, you know, other people would be putting up their groceries after I'd put mine up, and I would, would sit in the living room and I would warm my cheese Danish up in the microwave, <laughs> and I would eat it while watching Law and Order SVU. <laughs> and I was like, "This is the heart of luxury." <laughs> I love my life. (laughs) That, you know, honestly, I would like to go back to a time where a cheese Danish and Law and Order. Actually, no, neither of those sound all that good to me because I'm not a cheese Danish girl, but, or a Law and Order girl, but I'm glad that you had that time. (laughs) Did you catch the excellent gynecological joke? No. Oh, yeah. Somebody, oh, man, I can't remember if it was Mel or Sue. I think Sue mispronounced Viennoiserie and called it Viennoiseria. And. Somebody oh, yeah, made no, a joke I've about a having cream a cream for that. for that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, ooh, caught that. <laughs> <laughs> that joke is right up my gross alley. And oh, poor Richard, he just fell apart. Yeah, we've commented before that when Richard messes up, he messes up on a grand scale. And he, this episode, it was make or break, and it broke poor Richard. Before the final challenge, the judges even said, like, he would have to really pull a rabbit out of his hat to carry the win. Right, and and I think that his biggest mistake was picking something so simple. Yes, and I get the urge. Right, it's my favorite, and I want to represent myself. Yes. Okay, but... But it's the final. Right, it's not week one, you know. I mean, Norman got quite a little bit of ways through the competition on super simple. Right. But, you know, he's not standing up there with you now. No, exactly. And it's exactly like Paul said, it's it's the final. So if you're going to go simple, it has to be perfect. And then it wasn't perfect. I never bet on anything I make being perfect. No! <laughs> Everything I make is in some way a hot mess. I'm currently proving a loaf of rye and I fully anticipate that I will screw that up somehow. Like it's going to happen. Every time I make something I've not made before, I'm always over the moon when it comes together. At all. Like, yeah, not perfect. Yeah. I just made like I made a cake a, a different sort of way uh, last week when I was on vacation, and when uh, like when I finished it, I was like, it kind of looks like the picture in the book. Woo! I was thrilled. Yeah, totally, totally. And then it's the idea, and my first thought when Paul was like, "I don't like that these are touching. This is not a batch bake." And like my first thought was. Like, oh, come on, Paul. And then I thought, wait a minute, it is the final. And it is a competition that thousands of people applied for. And, like, they've got to make a call somewhere. So to give that opportunity to have such a clear and defined flaw, oof. Right. Yeah. And and it's one thing, you know, and it's meeting your intention. That's something that, you know, the show 
on top of being all about taste, they're all about, you know, they ask you what you're going to make. Right. And then it better be that. Yes. All so those you, flavors you're listing in the title, it better be there. Right. And mm-hmm. so this isn't one of those shows where you can just say, well, it's like, oh, I edited it on the fly. Yeah. No, you just kind of got to have it. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to be really ready. All right. So the second thing that came up this week was, I don't know, the worst technical all season? It, oh, it was a case of so much to do and so little time. Oh, my goodness. A perfect example of how something simple can be the worst thing to try to get done. And whenever anything simple is done on this show, it's with the caveat that it needs to be perfect because it's so simple. And I would rather do something fancy and get cut some slack than have the expectation of perfection. Because as discussed, I don't do nothing perfectly. And so in this challenge, they had two hours to make 12 mini scones, 12 Victoria sandwiches, and 12 mini Tarta Citrons. Yep. And you speaking of how like they don't cut slack on simple stuff. A tart of citron is actually what Norman made way back in the tart challenge. Mm-hmm. And it they didn't gave, pan out. No, they gave him some shit about it. Yeah, it's and sure enough, one of the contestants had a really hard time with it, too. So calling it simple, I think sometimes when things are common or popular, they get confused with being easy. Right. And that's not really the case. I mean, you've made donuts. Right. And they're not easy, even though no. they're everywhere. Well, and this had the added curveball of... Two hours. Well, and it had to be done from memory. Yeah. They had no instructions. The instructions were, make the crap we told you to make. Goodbye now. Do you ever bake from memory? Absolutely not. No, I can't Not, e- not even a sugar cookie. <laughs> My brain is mush. I freely accept this about myself. I've I've moved on from thinking I'm capable of doing such things. I would have bombed this. No question. And it's so hard that even if I had been trying to stick to time limits and I told myself, well, whatever happens, it'll only be two hours of my time, I still would have been intimidated by this challenge. Right. Well, and I think that that is where the line between, I guess, a an amateur and a professional starts to blur a little bit yes. is how much of this stuff you just have in the back of your mind. There's a, a cookbook I read by Tom Colicchio, which is familiar. like... Is it bread? No, he was uh, the one of the judges on Top Chef for years and years. Okay. He's the bald guy. Hmm. It's, you know, it was more laid out, less like recipes, but more like, if you had this stuff, here's how I would think about putting it together. Here's how, here's what my process is like when I create food, as opposed to just doing a recipe. This is how I think about food in a broader context. Oh, and I want to think that I've seen other cookbooks like that too. Like The whole idea is how to cook without a recipe. Right. Um, or the, the I'm going to get the order wrong, but salt, fat, acid, heat. I actually think you got the order right. Oh, good for me. By um, Samin Nosrat kind of works from that perspective that to make something really delicious, you need to be good at tasting and tweaking. However, that's cooking. Right. And I, and in baking, I don't know, I, I feel like I would always at least glance at the recipe. You know, I mean, I don't know how many times, like I've made marshmallow a number of times. But I would still glance at a recipe. In general, I am not an experimenter. I enjoy several crafts. And for all of them, I want a recipe. I want a pattern. I want uh, I want something to follow step by step. I want to execute the plan. I'm less adventurous when it comes to winging it or making up my own plan. And I think that's just different strokes for different folks. But that's the person I am. I think of myself like a skilled practitioner 
I don't think of myself as an artist. I thought this challenge was a bit of a nightmare, and I think that Richard would agree. Uh, yeah. Continuing his his poor streak of, you know, just sweet curdled scrambled eggs. It was the tart that got him. I think the other two were fine. Am I right? Yeah, they actually, they, it sounded like he had the, among the best scones. But and the tart the, was just so abysmal that it And the Victoria in. sponge, the jam was a little weak. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, all it took. But I honestly don't think that Louis edged him out that bad. I I think that they were kind of right down there together. And then Nancy did the job. Nancy, I mean, they even said in the opening credits, and I wonder to what extent their comments at the beginning of an episode are informed by what happens during. Oh, yeah. Always. Yeah. But like, I would say the hint was queen of consistency this Mm -hmm. time. If it does inform what they say in the beginning about contestants, that her consistency and her her eye for detail really carried the day in this challenge. I would not want to take this on, even though it's quote-unquote simple. The hmm. devil is in the details. Ain't it the damn truth. Anything else to say about the technical? I think I'm good. So the showstopper, and this last showstopper is always insane, but this one, yes. it's insane Takes the by cake. design. the cake. Womp, yeah. womp, womp. <laughs> It's a piece monte. Which is yet another phrase from the show that is new to me. Right. And it's basically a centerpiece made of food, but it has to be edible. And from a little bit of the research I did, a principal component of it has to be a croquembouche. Yes. And we can get to what that is in just a minute. They had five hours to do it in, and they had to have, they had to show off some sugar work. They had to have a, some cake. They had to have a croquembouche or some sort of a shoe pastry work. Which I think of as a cream puff. Yes. Like, it has to be filled somehow. And then they had a a cookie of some kind of biscuit component. Mm. Again, everything but the kitchen sink is being thrown into this massive undertaking that also, perhaps most importantly, needs to be visually compelling. But before we get into those bakes, they also, like, took some time during this segment to kind of go over everybody's history and whatnot. And can I just... your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And can I just say two things? Richard as a young man is a total fucking stud. Oh my god. Oh yeah. And he mm-hmm. built their home. Yeah, I know. He built their home. And he makes a comment like about being into gingers and like it was just a cute reference to his yeah, He's wife. like I'm a ginger lover and I was like I'll be your ginger lover. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that because you are a very ginger man. I am. Uh, I was like we've been a little thirsty for Richard all season long and, and it hit the retrospective top. did not disappoint. Mm. Oh and he makes kids, all daughters too. That's a thing. Hey, okay. Shout out to a heterosexual male who is clearly very confident in his masculinity, enough so that he can have a traditionally feminine hobby and be like, not a thing. And I'm just going to admit, I low-key forgot that Louis wasn't gay. Oh, I could see Louis as gay. Yeah, not, and it wasn't a big deal, but they're like, this is Louis's wife. And I was like, who? Oh, <laughs> all right. Hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that all the retrospectives were really cute. Everybody's family was fantastic. Yeah. and. And so Uh into them and proud of them. I love that Nancy is like a career hobbyist and every hobby she's done, she's taken like as far as one can go. Didn't uh, her breeding and showing dogs was her previous thing. And it seems like she's a big gardener and Mm -hmm. she went to school back in her 40s to go get her master's in business administration, all sort of stuff. She's just a bad bitch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I was like, way to Leslie nope your life. Yep. I'm, it's the person I want to be, honestly. Like, it's the person I'm working toward. You know, but after they do that, they start walking around and they talk about everybody's 
Piedmonte design. Poor Richard. Poor Richard. I don't think that his would have been judged quite so harshly had he not been doing the same thing that Nancy was doing. I, I mean, what a bad piece of luck. Yes. Oh, the windmill. And I will say this, like, his was cute. Every now and then they're harsh on something. They use the word childish, and I think it's more child-friendly. I mean, right. like, I, I think that if somebody goes cute, they tend to get judged more harshly. Paul, especially, is not very whimsical. A lot of them, I, you know, they bake for their kids. My mom, for uh, Helen's first birthday, oddly enough, gave me a present. And one of them was this book she found. And it is just a tome. And it's all cakes for kids. And it's like you could do it with a box cake and several different colors of frosting for most of them. But it's like every cake design you can think of that's kind of achievable with the standard pans by a home baker. And I was really excited about it. And if you think about it, if you're a parent... That's probably most of the highly decorated cakes you're going to be doing. Well, this sort of like baking for a crowd and baking to please a crowd is where most people's baking tradition comes out of. This sort of very fancy high-end baking is not what most people do. No. That's like a catering thing in my head. Or a hobbyist, you know, like we are. And so people get known for like, you know, I make an excellent apple pie. And that might be the only thing I bake, but I make an excellent apple pie. I do make an excellent apple pie. <laughs> it is the shit. Just throwing that out there. I make an apple crostata that is the tits. <laughs> I I may have made it probably a dozen times in the last three years. And it's and a crowd pleaser. Sorry. There you go. No, it's a crowd pleaser. Every bite gets eaten. Everybody loves it. <laughs> so. You can actually find my apple pie recipe online. It is Elizabeth Dole's apple pie. And the apple crostata is from the Barefoot Contessa Party's cookbook. There you go. We're willing to share. We're generous exactly. people. Mm-hmm. That's right. But, you know, I mean, you find a recipe that works and you want to keep going back to it. I mean, you've experienced, if you've listened to all of this podcast, that there will be many failures on the road to success. Right. And stuff that's interesting isn't necessarily stuff you want to replicate. Correct. Right. Bless its heart. That I keep thinking of the damn Saverin. And then, so we talked about how both Nancy and... Uh, Richard both had takes on the windmill. And then Louis, I always remember this, the mine wheel with the... The, the chain made of cream puffs. Of shoe pastry, yeah. Mm-hmm. I made a croque and bouche. I, I actually, you know, made two things from this episode. Way, way impressed. I didn't make the full thing. And so I'm going to talk about that. Uh, well, I'll talk a little bit about it now because it's not my actual bake. But basically, a croque and bouche is not hard. It's just time intensive you make a bunch of cream puffs which is just you kind of saw where they were piping out all those hershey kiss style shoe pastries right those were all the cream puffs okay so they're gonna puff up in there and then you just have to cut a hole fill them with cream cut a hole fill them with cream and then you are creating the shape you want and then dipping the next one in caramel and then just building and you can build it around a cone and take it off and you see a couple of them do that or you can build it free form did you have issues with it all sticking here's the like getting it to stick together was not a problem at all okay but and then you like pour caramel over the top of it but you have to think you're using caramel as your glue and you're also adding caramel on the top caramel crystallizes it's going to get hard. Yep. So like cutting a piece out of that, it's nigh impossible. You have to 
crack the whole thing, really. Right. So I threw half of it away because I was like, I'm very impressed that I did this, but it doesn't keep and I don't can't transport it. And it's it's a party dessert. It's it's a wedding cake. In fact, I thought wedding cake when I was looking at them, putting them together. Like, right. And it gives you height. And because of the caramel, it gives you a little bit of, of structure that you can build on if you want to. It's an interesting sort of thing, but it's not, that was not the tastiest part of any of their desserts, I guarantee you. Oh, really? It didn't taste, you weren't impressed with flavor. Well, I mean, it's just a cream puff, so it's a little bit of shoe pastry. I mean, oh, it's I basically real... an ecla- it's an eclair without a top. I get pretty verklempt for that idea, so we, we might be on slightly different pages there, but <laughs> I understand what you're saying, that it's not going to blow your mind. Like, right, it's, it's not it's not the wow factor. It's not a place to showcase flavors. Although, didn't one of them include a passion fruit curd in there? And they and they might have. And you can I'm you know, some of them may have just used a basic cream filling, but you can fill it with whatever you want to. Okay, gotcha. I thought that everybody did well, but I will admit I liked Nancy's the best. Yeah, Nancy's, well, you know, she did say that it was sinister. Like a <laughs> Moulin Rouge, very sexy. She did not oversell it. Honestly, like, no. yeah, it, it was pretty sexy and kind of sinister. Well, I don't know about sinister, but like as sinister as a windmill gets. And that red caramel. The red color palette was a good idea. Very eye-catching. It wasn't something I would have necessarily thought Nancy would do. Mm-mm. The brandy snap roof was a good idea. Yep. And really showed off skills because I know in another season they've done brandy snaps as a challenge and they are not easy to do right. You know, so when they wake back and they're like, we're in full agreement, I see it. Especially because they didn't like the taste of one of Louis' cakes. Mm-hmm. At this point in the season, it feels like as soon as they find a major fault, they're like, oh, that one's out. Like, yeah. That person, when Richard had his rough beginning and a rough technical, it's like, Richard's gone. And when in the t- in the showstopper, he has a cake issue, that to me is the point where you're like, oh. I think I know who's going to win. And so they walk outside and beautiful day. Not, and I will say not every day that they have these final episodes, is it a beautiful day? They have like crowned people out in the rain and the muck, but this one was a beautiful day. Yeah. Yeah. It was gorgeous. And so, and Nancy is declared the winner. And I just want to say, you know, when I was watching it last night, Nancy, I guess well, she cried and that was adorable. But before that, when they're like, you know, like everybody's got their family around them and they're about to step forward, Nancy's, I'm going to guess, son who was there, mm-hmm. also a biscuit. <gasps> I missed him. A bis- oh, you should go back and look. <laughs> Run it all back. <laughs> so it's more English delight coming my way. Right. Oh, my. So, but they all walk forward. I thought that Nancy getting choked up, you know, you, you could totally tell that she was going to try to be the British lady. Yeah, you know, she was going to take it in stride, but she's yeah. so touched and, you know, and being able to go out on a joke about how she, you know, it was just because she was so attracted to Paul. She sassed him. Yeah. She went out sassy. Yeah, yeah she got the last word. Absolutely. And I, I think that was good on the production team. And I think Paul actually, like, took Nancy's jokes with pretty good grace throughout like it was fun for him too so i think he liked her (laughs) yeah well who wouldn't she's great also way off topic but i noticed that nancy has really gorgeous eyelashes like i'm betting that her son came by her his uh appearance via his mother because nancy 
is she's in sort of the Mary Berry category where it's like, damn, if I can age like that, I'll be doing great. I'd like to bring up something amazing about this season that just okay. happened in the last week. I know you're not a huge Instagram person, but are you aware that Martha Collison, uh, the Martha of this season, got married this week? I was not aware. Congratulations to Martha. Martha got married and guess who made her cakes? Was it the rest of the contestants? Several of the contestants made cakes for her wedding and they were all ranged on a table together as their wedding cakes. And there are, if you follow Chetna Makan, you can see several photos where they're all posed together and it's their big bake-off shoot. And there's Inwazor, Richard, Nancy, Ian, Diana, Jordan, Chetna, I just forgot her name, Claire, and Kate all made it. We're all there for the wedding. Yeah, it was a whole bunch of them. And somewhere a friend told me there's a shout out to the couple of people who couldn't make it, including Luis and one or two other people. It looks like they had a really great time and it just totally reinforces what I suspected, which is that they're lovely, lovely people who genuinely liked each other and wanted to see one another succeed. And if you go, they pretty much all have Instagram accounts. And if you go, you can see the different cakes that they made for different events. And it looks like at the wedding, they had, like, they were tagged with who made which cake. And there's this big range, and it's really fun. Well, that sounds great. I will definitely have to check that out. It's but super sweet. It was a great season. Uh, I thought that this episode was good uh you know the finale is always a little slow because just because there's not a lot of people and they're pretty busy yes yeah Yeah, it's it's more of an awe episode awe not aww because they're doing things that are really difficult and they're all really incredible and so yeah it's it's not so much about comparing as it is about like i can't believe they're doing this stuff and pulling it off Alrighty, so anything else to say about this episode? Uh, you know, we're going to do a, a wrap-up episode on the season a little bit later, but right. anything else to say about this one in particular? About this one in particular, I think we've we've said what needs to be said. Yeah, I, I mean, great contestants, great time. I have no disagreement with the judging. No, okay. not at all. Yep, nailed it. Alrighty. Well, let's talk about what we did. Yeah. Let's focus on the real stars here. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> it's our show. about... Your croissant. Yes. So I made pain au chocolat. Which oh, is just I forgot. A, I thought it was just a croissant. Well, that's... Pain au chocolat is just French for chocolate croissant. Pain au chocolat. And what this is, is it's basically a chocolate croissant. It's like a normal croissant roll that you might have had anywhere, but it's got chocolate running through it. It's one of my bakery go-tos. Okay. So you've made this before. I've not made it. It's one of the things that I tend to buy at bakeries because I know lamination is hard and I don't want to do it. And I like chocolate. So I buy that. I had never had one of these before. So I was just kind of going blind. And so the first thing is you have to make a croissant dough. And so you do that by combining some flour, sugar, butter, and salt in an electric mixer and you've got some hot and cold water that you're going to combine with some milk to put in there it's also yeasted so you're going to combine all that out and you're going to flatten it into a square and then you're going to wrap it in plastic wrap and stick it in the fridge for at least three hours so there goes the time limit right i will say this i made this over the course of almost three days that sounds about right was it hard to do it in three days no no or was it just a little bit here and there it's just a little bit here and there, like okay. not even 10 minutes at a time. That's how it was when I did the entremet. 
And it's not a bad way to bake if you have the room for it in your kitchen. No, it was an exciting little thing to do. Like I like I made dinner and I was like, I'm going to take that out and do another turn. And Perfect. so once you once it's cooled down the first time, you are going to to roll it out into a big square, and then you're going to put a square of butter on top. Now, they actually, the cookbook I used, which was Homemade Patisserie by Vincent Gadan and Michelle Guberina. Guberina. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, had me use room temperature butter. Okay. And so I, you know, I put that between two sheets of parchment paper and rolled it and, and basically pressed it with my hands into a square. And then I immediately Wash rolled it. <laughs> well, no, it's because it's between parchment paper. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. So I was able to, you know, just put that straight onto the the dough, and then I wrapped it up in quarters, you know, from top and bottom, and then mm-hmm. side to side to make a little pouch. And then you just you roll it out into a long strip, and you fold it in thirds, and then you you turn it and do that again. And every one of those that you do is a turn. And so I did three turns, stuck it in the fridge, let it chill again overnight. Because the goal is, you know, every time you take this out, you want it to be as cold as possible because if the butter melts, you're not going to get lamination. One thing that I wondered about the whole lamination process is if your butter is really cold and your dough is at room temperature like it is the first time. Wait, do you chill your dough before you put the butter in? You chill the the dough beforehand too. That answers my question. Okay, because I was thinking if the dough is at room temperature but the butter is chilled, wouldn't you pound your butter straight through your dough all the way to the counter. And the answer is no, because it's all cold. It all flattens at about the same rate. But basically, you know, every time that you are rolling this into thirds and doing a turn, mm-hmm. after every turn, it needs to go in the fridge for at least an hour to get cold again. Phew. How and the hell so, did they not ruin this on the show? I don't know. I don't know either. So, um, so after I had done four or five turns, I kind of lost track, but I figured it didn't matter. <laughs> 50 layer croissants. Right. I was like, so long as I got the minimum amount in, I was like, I bet I'm golden. So at this point, I rolled it out into a big rectangle and then it had me cut them into six equal strips uh, that were kind of uh, about a foot and a half long. So it made six? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. That seems like a, a small batch. Did you half it? No. Huh. That was just, that was this recipe, okay. you know, at least. That so is for the best. That is actually quite appreciated. I got the strips and then it was, it told me to put five grams of chocolate in each one. And so it was basically, you know, five, five grams of chocolate, roll it, roll up the five grams of chocolate, put another piece of chocolate and keep rolling to the end and then seal with egg wash. And it just said, you know, use squares off of a chocolate block. But I'm going to tell you. A square on a chocolate block does not want to participate when you are rolling dough on the counter. It was a little awkward getting them all in there, you know, because like there you'd have this lovely swirl that you're making and then just a lump of chocolate somewhere in it. So we've got those. And then it wants the, the recipe wants me to prove it in a 100 degree oven. Well, my oven doesn't go to 100 degrees. Nor does mine. That is why I made a sound. <laughs> so I basically put it on the lowest temperature it had. 200? And then... Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I kept checking the air with my instant read thermometer. And I turned it off, you know, when it was a little over, you know, like right at 100, because anything over 100, the butter's going to start to melt. I've made the discovery that I don't know what the hell people are doing, but room temperature in pastry lingo means like 75 to 80 degrees. Right. And if it's that warm in my kitchen, I'm pissed. Especially if you're using a European source, there's not nearly as much air conditioning as we have here. It's a terrible place. 
<laughs> Much kinder to the environment, but very unpleasant. I let it prove for an hour. And initially I, I was like, I don't know what, what I'm going to get out of these. These are kind of small, which is fine. You know, I don't need them to be huge. Mm -hmm. This has yeast in it and I've let it, you know, it's been in the fridge, which slows down yeast, but it's been in there for two days and it has not gotten appreciably larger. Did the recipe take into account that you might take a really long time to make them or have you yeah, by this yeah, point? The, okay, gotcha. And so I put them into prove and they exploded in size. Whoa, okay. I mean, they like, they puffed up so much. Goodness. Like, did they touch? Yeah. Because oh. I stuck them on a half, on a half sheet pan. Because I was, because they were tiny. I was like, oh, yeah, there's plenty of room. JK, there was not. <laughs> Got them apart. And they were very even before they proved. And then they proved and they puffed up so much that they were no longer even. So already Paul would have just torn you a new one. Right. But after that, you just, you stick an egg wash on them. And then you put them in an oven at 345 degrees, okay. which is oddly specific. Yes. Um, I bet it's a Celsius conversion. It is. It was 175 Celsius. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You basically just bake them until they're golden brown and take them out. You, you turn them over half or turn the, the pan halfway while you're baking them. I will say they also want you to serve them immediately. They're like, they're best within the first four hours. Which, Fine. Although right. I think of them as a breakfasty thing. In fact, I noticed all of the vinoiserie that was listed in my book seems breakfasty to me. I had one of these. Dale had one of these. Dale said that this was the best thing I had made since we started doing this show. Whoa. Whoa. And Dale's I had everything. I know. Yeah, he's tasted pretty much everything. And it doesn't sound as though it was exactly... It took a long time, but it wasn't harrowing to make. No, not especially. The, the biggest thing was, I think if I were to make it again, and I probably will... I would probably grate the chocolate so that it would roll easier and I could maybe get it a little bit more consistent throughout the entire thing. In my recipe, it suggested something that I have never seen before. And maybe it's a baker supply thing. Maybe it's common in Europe, but chocolate sticks. I mean, I've seen them on baking shows. Yes. And so I can see how that would be really easy if you... Right. Uh, but, you know, I don't know where to find that. I mean, I thought that it went really well. It was very tasty. It was very light. I, I got some lamination. You know, I don't know if it was everything because I'm not a master of that, but there were Any gaps, there good. were flakes. Um, oh, there were little crumbles when you ate it. Right. And so I was, I was pretty pleased with it. And then Dale took the rest to work and his coworker was like, yeah, you should tell him uh, that we want some more on Monday. <laughs> That's really sweet. I know. I was, I was really pleased with it. You know, I got, I got nothing to complain about with the pan of chocolate. I think that it's a great little something to make for other people, you know, because it's, it's kind of simple. But now that I know kind of how a filled croissant works, I feel like the basic process is going to be the same. Right. Maybe the the shape might be a little different because the dough is going to be the same and then how you get the filling in there is basically going to be the same. I'm curious, would you ever have attempted a croissant before this show? Would you have been intimidated by it before you faced a challenge where you had to do one? Way back when, you know, I don't know, let's say three months after Dale and I first started dating. Okay. So a million years ago. Um, <laughs> when the world was new. Right. That was when cronuts were having a minute. I don't know if anybody remembers what those are, but they are basically like fried croissants, fried croissant donuts. And That's a lot. That's a lot of work. And so BuzzFeed had an article of like how to make them at home. And so I made them at home. And I just remember it being so involved and so hard and taking so many forevers. Not fun. And they ended up being okay. But I was like, gosh, that was so much work. At what cost? And now looking back, I was like, 
I bet it was roughly the same thing as this, because the only thing that you would add on to that to make a cronut is you'd fry it. Yes. Instead of baking it. And so... Which is a great opportunity for failure. Right. But, but you know, frying is not... That's not where the time goes in. No. It's just opportunity for screwing things up. And, and so, I, you know, I was looking back and I was like, oh, th- I am so much better at this. But that's my thing. I would... I would go buy danishes. I would never think to like, oh, yeah, I could make this the night before and we could do that. You know, my my go-to like baked breakfast for people is I have a, a savory bread pudding that I do that you make the night before and just toss in the oven the first thing in the morning. Often called a breakfast casserole in the South, that is. What? Would you call it a breakfast casserole? Uh, no. Not so much because it's not most, it's not mostly egg-based. Oh, it's uh, Mostly it's rice. It's a baguette soaked in egg. Mm. As the uh, as the middle as the layer bottom layer and then there is sausage and cream cheese in the middle another layer of the bread and egg with sage and then you sprinkle a little uh, syrup on the top. Ooh, it's tasty. Yeah, I would eat the the hell out of that actually. <laughs> and you can get the recipe for that on Food Fifty Two. I thought this was good. I don't know that I necessarily learned a lot out of doing this one because it was a little bit more on the simpler side. I, I guess I learned that. To not be surprised by the yeast and stuff during prove time, no matter how cold it's been. Yes. And one of those things where it's like, you know, we could double the recipe. We could make more. <laughs> nice. Because uh, people like it. Turned out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was good. I liked doing it. And I think that if you don't have to stand there and be hands-on the whole time, mm. then you can do a little piece now and then when you feel like it. And so if you're trying to bake while you've got a lot of stuff going on, or you might be called away anytime by a child, or you've got a full-time job, or whatever's going on in your life, maybe pastry is a better way to go because you can leave it to sit for much longer. I found in a couple of projects I've done for the show that I wouldn't have done before because I thought they were very difficult, I felt like I got a lot more use out of my fridge and freezer in a way than I did out of my oven like, oh it spends way more time in the fridge and freezer than in the oven the oven's just kind of like the the cherry on top yeah it's it's the very last stage and yeah i was kind of surprised by that and i get why if you were a major baker and building your dream kitchen a gigantic fridge and freezer would be really important mm-hmm. and it makes sense now that on american shows that i've watched that are like people who run bakeries Everybody's got to walk in because, of course, you do. Everything needs to be in the fridge all the time. And as you get to this stuff, you're going to use more of it. And so, but it's like, I, you know, I was on vacation uh, last week, and so I did a lot of stuff. Even my the savory stuff I was making had a, a baking tinge to it. So, like, I went through almost thirty eggs last Good week. Grief. You know, I bought a flat of eggs, and there are two of them left. Oh man, I did uh, actually quiche last night, and I may do another. But yeah, you just knock through six of them. I, I think that. You know, as we're doing more of this stuff, I'm getting more comfortable and I I understand why we're doing things or, oh, that's kind of like this. And so I can kind of see how that would go or, you know, reading a recipe and I was like, "Mm, I don't agree with that point or I see what you're doing there, but I actually like it the other way. Yes. And that's, I mean, I'm to that point almost now with cooking. So it's exciting to find that it's happening with baking too. And you're a much more accomplished cook than I am. So. Well, much like this, if I went to story by story, you would find there are plenty of failures. <laughs> All right, so why don't you tell me, or why don't you tell us a little bit about what you made this week? 
Well, this week I decided to go with the Viennoiserie too. And like you, I had to learn a little bit more about it. And I already spoke a little bit about this amazing cookbook that I found, which is Patisserie by Christoph Felder. It has an entire Viennoiserie section, which was really helpful because it helped me to define it. And what I found that it is, for the most part, is croissants or other laminated pastry. Well, it's not pastry, patisserie. And then there are Danish count as viennoiserie and brioche. But toward the end of the chapter, he also has something called angel wing fritters, which reminds me a little bit of when you talked about the cronut about, because that's essentially the same thing. You've got a laminated pastry deep fried. It's a wide <laughs> variety of things. And I was tempted by quite a few of them. There are others I'll definitely go back and give a shot. There's a vanilla croissant. And I thought that seems like a really intelligent use for vanilla. And also pastry cream filled brioches. Because what oh, could that make... that does sound good. Right? Yeah. Like, what does brioche really need after you've used that stick and a half of butter to make a standard-sized loaf that really <laughs> needs to be puffed up with some pastry cream? I decided to make a heart-shaped streusel brioche, except I did not have a heart-shaped pan to give me an idea of the shape and size of the form. So it said that you could just as easily do a circle using a nine inch cake round. So I decided to do a circle shaped streusel brioche. And I was really excited about the flavors because you do the brioche base and you roll it out to make a circle. On top of that, you pile toppings. And I realized after doing it in a circle, I basically made a really buttery dessert pizza. That sounds like the tits. It's, it was fantastic. So I started with my recipe for brioche. And so the most interesting thing about brioche to me was the proportions. Because if you're used to making bread, you might use three cups of flour and maybe a tablespoon of sugar. And then let's say two, three tablespoons of butter. For this loaf, well, or what I ended up making, it used two cups of flour and a stick and a half of butter. So the proportions are wildly skewed from regular bread. And I've made things that the recipe called brioche before that didn't use nearly as much butter. And it was successful, but after having made this, I get where they're different. This has, it's a cross-section between cake and bread. It's not as sweet as cake, but it has a texture that's very cake-like. And... It was, it's really enjoyable. And I, they mentioned on the show that it should have some spring to it in mm -hmm. addition to being buttery, that it shouldn't be heavy in any way. And it used, it called for a half a cake or 10 grams of fresh yeast. And that looked like an awful lot when I poured it out, but I gave it 10 grams by my scale and everything turned out fine. I can't remember what I was making, but there was something that called for an ass load of yeast. And when I poured it on the scale, I was like, no. All righty. Oh, we'll just, see. You went with it? Did it work out? I guess it did. I don't remember what it was, but I can, I've, I've been in that spot where, you know, usually it calls for a couple of grams of yeast. And when it calls for that big amount, it's Off jarring. Time. Yes. Like, this is going to be very large. And part of it might be with... I know that butter tends to deaden yeast, that an enriched bread is going to need a longer rise or it needs a little bit more babying to get lift. So maybe the larger amount of yeast is to compete with the larger amount of butter. It was just a basic bread, really. And I make bread all the time. You put flour 
sugar and salt in the bowl of your stand mixer along with the yeast and I try to separate yeast and salt when they go in. Then I kneaded in three large eggs at a low speed. Then you drop in that stick and a half of softened butter and it makes a really dense buttery sticky kind of a wet greasy dough and I needed that at medium speed for it says five to ten minutes I went about eight because that's what other bread recipes called for and I think it's so funny that the recipe says or knead by hand like yes I'm gonna I, I don't understand kneading by hand I truly don't like well, if especially... you don't own a stand mixer oh okay well that makes sense that right makes I used to need a lot of stuff by hand or like whip my own cream or things like that and oh and you weren't just trust... being like no I, I'm never that sort of finicky no, don't worry about the I was just poor. Easy ways available. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, now I feel like a dick. But, like, <laughs> but I was like, why would you want to do that? And like, oh, you don't want to. It says, and it's helpful that you know you have brioche dough when it keeps its shape when you hold it in your hand. And that's when you know that you've got your gluten development up to speed. At that point, this is one of those funny books where it's like, start with this basic recipe and then move to the specific thing that you're trying to do. And I was like, oh, okay. I padded this wad of brioche dough into a square that was maybe five by five inches, wrapped it up in cling wrap and popped it in the fridge because just like when you were laminating your croissants, it's really important that you get your butter cold enough that you can work with your dough, but for a different reason. If I tried to roll out that super buttery dough, I mean, it would have just squelched all over the place and it wouldn't have been successful at all. After putting it in, I... I won't say I forgot about it, just like life happened for another, you know, 18 hours or so. And when I came back, it was totally firm. But luckily, that's no problem because it has so much butter in it. I didn't even have to let it sit at room temperature, really. I rolled it out to about a quarter of an inch thick. And when I did that, I found out that I had enough dough to make not one, but two of the recipe. So I thought... Oh, no. What a tragedy. Right? Yeah. I mean, geez. Come on, Kristoff. Get with the program. So I took a nine inch cake round cut around it with a sharp knife to get two rounds and I went ahead and put those on baking sheet that was covered with a silp hat so I've got this really thin well not really but a quarter inch thin round of dough covered that with cling wrap and waited for it to get puffy and the nice thing about this book is that there's a photo of what puffy should look like and I love I love resources like that that tell you instead of giving you times they give you temperatures and instead of giving you a a description they give you a photo like thank you because I do not do well with loosey-goosey terminology I never feel like I have enough experience to really say oh yeah this is what they're looking for it's right now and that just comes with experience and I I don't tend to make a lot of the same things twice so when since it's usually something kind of new to me that's really helpful while that was rising um, which it does warn could take about two hours and it did take maybe two and a half I peeled quartered and cored three Bartlett pears and then I cut them into about a half inch dice squeezed in a little bit of lemon juice to keep them from browning by the way I've been doing that for my baby's apple slices later and it works shockingly well Uh, then I needed to make my first caramel which I found really intimidating because on the show I know that a lot of people get tripped up at caramel and it's like you can't touch it for this long or it'll seize or you have to do this or you have to do that the recipe I followed it completely and it worked really well. I put one and a half tablespoons of light brown sugar in a 
pan and I, I went with a nonstick pan and I let it sit stirring occasionally with a wooden spoon until it caramelized and when it started to look like liquid that was the point when I considered it caramelized. At that point you're supposed to throw in butter. So I throw in the butter and something really weird happens. The butter starts to melt and all of the caramel turns into like these trails of goo that have gotten really thick and viscous almost like caramel candy but not in a good way and so that freaked me out a little bit i Hmm. I stirred the butter in until it was sort of mixed and thought well that's something and then i threw in the diced pear and that was amazing the liquid from the pear ran into the butter and it totally solved any problems that it had like it it somehow emulsified that's not the right word but like somehow the combination of the fluid from the pears and the overly dry caramel mixture just married really well and it also had a teaspoon of ground cinnamon which I tossed in on top and so I scooted those around in the pan until the pears were coated and it took about five minutes for them to soften up and look pretty well cooked and then I took them off the heat so that was the pear portion that kind of just sat on the stove for a while and I started to pay attention to the other part of the project going back to the brioche so I brushed the brioche with an egg glaze which was literally just egg and then I took blueberries blueberries were pressed at intervals all over the dough so I made a little well with my finger like I was planting a seed and (laughs) made wells all over and then stuck a blueberry in each one looking back the blueberries were probably the most expensive part of this recipe I think I paid some absurd amount but they were called for so I went ahead and did it love blueberries but the flavor did not come through and I didn't get any particular texture from them so since they cost like five or six dollars for a tiny little package I would have skipped those if I did this again not because they weren't good just because they were expensive and they weren't really highlighted in a way that I'd want to highlight an expensive ingredient yeah when I think that blueberries I've I've experienced that a number of times where a blueberry the taste of it doesn't come through it's more the the color effect that it has because it will that that dye and it will power through a recipe and the funny thing is the next step will tell it but it was a streusel so the color got covered up anyway it was really just kind of five dollars that well i guess they have vitamins and stuff maybe antioxidants (laughs) Antioxidants. thank you and (laughs) at that point i needed to make my coconut streusel so in a bowl i combined three tablespoons of butter a quarter cup of sugar and two-thirds of a cup of unsweetened shredded coconut with half a cup of ap flour and a pinch of salt the butter was a little bit softened up so i just put my hands in there and squeezed and rubbed the butter through the ingredients until it made these coarse kind of pea-shaped crumbs and I used unsweetened shredded coconut and I used this kind, I think it's Bob's Red Mill, that is much chunkier and thicker and has a little bit of a chew. And I love coconut, so that was really good for me. It would be easy to skip it if you wanted to, but uh, I was really happy with the texture that it gave the brioche after it was all said and done because everything else was very soft. Soft brioche, soft blueberries, soft pears. But because that coconut streusel was in there, it added some texture. And I just want to note here, what went into the streusel, that 
quarter cup of sugar is the largest amount of sugar that went in at any time. Even in the caramel, it only called for a tablespoon and a half. So most of the sweetness of this, I mean, it's not healthy. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like there's an awful lot of butter in here, but the sweetness for the most part comes from fruit. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a a good thing. I don't know. It seems like a good thing. So I've got my streusel. I've got my blueberry studded brioche and all I need to do is put it together. My oven's preheated to 350 and I very carefully pour my pear mixture on top of my two little pizzas and mess up, you know, drop things all over the place, put them back on <laughs> the pizza like it didn't happen. And then uh, cover each one with streusel. I popped it into the oven for, it ended up taking 18 minutes per pie. I did them one at a time. I figured, you know, I've proved them for two and a half hours. What's an extra 15 minutes going to do? So I let it go until it was puffed and golden brown. So I basically just waited until it was a pretty color. I didn't worry about a temperature or anything like that. The instructions said to sift confectioner sugar over the top before serving. I didn't see any point. Like it seemed like gilding the lily. So I skipped it. And I was really like, I was completely happy with it. The brioche was soft, easy to slice. It was buttery, but it had a little bit of spring. The fruit was, it was honestly pretty great. I mean, it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but really I'm more tooting Kristoff's horn because, that sounds dirty, because (laughs) it was like, it was just a really good recipe. I was able to follow something that seemed like it should have been very complicated, but it was broken down into such manageable pieces with such good instruction and photos that it didn't feel difficult at all, even though there were several components and it took a lot of time. I transferred them to a rack and let them cool and my husband liked it. I will say, I served it I ended up having it for breakfast the following day and the day after that and it was still good but it wasn't as good the streusel kind of goes limp and gets a little bit too wet and then again there are a lot of wet ingredients sitting on top of what's essentially like a cakey bread so the the brioche actually didn't get too soggy but the streusel became kind of unappealing It, it started to be more like butter and less like streusel. Yeah, I would call that one a great special occasion brunch dish. I think if I could bring something like that to, you know, have you ever had worked somewhere where they had a potluck kind of brunch event before? I taught high school for a while, so we would have brunches No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Right, yeah, and so it would be a really good thing to bring to that, like, partly because it's relatively dry. I have a, brace yourself, because this is exciting stuff, a Tupperware pie caddy, so that fit it perfectly, (laughs) and I was able to um, transport it really nicely, so it would be good for something like that. It felt really special. I have no regrets about the brioche, except I wish that I had tried a laminated pastry because I haven't before I was much more cap- much much more um familiar with an enriched dough and more comfortable with it so I kind of went that direction and I think maybe I should have pushed myself a little bit more to do something a little bit more complicated well I, I definitely think you're going to get the opportunity to take that on in the future so I, I wouldn't worry about that so Shedding much tears like yeah <laughs> wipe your tears poor girl well that sounds great mm-hmm. i'd recommend it i'd do it again i'd recommend this book even though it's pretty hard to find well is there anything else you want to add about your bake everyone should make it it's good stuff 
Make more dessert cool. pizza. Make more pizza in general. Well, and with that, Megan, we finished the first season. We did it. We won. We're both winners. We did. You know, it's like most of you who listen know us, but I, on a whim, went and visited Megan back in November when I was on vacation. My magnetism was too to resist. We talked about this in the car on the way back from lunch, and it came out of nothing. Hmm. And so for us to have gone from, you know, never having podcasted, Megan didn't own a microphone the whole nine yards, to us finishing a whole season in the space of a couple of months is insane. Yes. And you with with a really demanding job and me with a really demanding person who calls me mom. It is it's yeah, I'm really impressed with us. Way to go us. Right. And and not just Ryan, but also your baby. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Bless his heart. He tries. There have been times when he's like, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's for the podcast. And he's like, oh, <laughs> like, why are you, I have a hobby. Why are you doing this? Was this a good idea? Like, get away from me. Shut up. You can eat the results. You know, so we're going to do uh, a mini episode soon about other stuff that we've been baking. And then we are going to, I guess we're going to go ahead and get started with season six. Yeah. Which is probably most famously known for the winner having leaked well before the finale and it pissing a lot of people off. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that. So, um, I don't know anything. And also for, you know, hey, low-key racism comes to the bake-off. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. How, so. Have I not watched this season? So a lot of it centers around Nadia. I don't know if you remember <gasps> her. Love Nadia. Yeah. not And it, the racism wasn't on the show. It was around the show. Okay. Gotcha. That makes more sense. I was like, how did I forget low-key racism? <laughs> <laughs> but that is for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. If Thanks, you like guys. the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. It helps other people find the show. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram to see pictures of all of our bakes and the things that we're doing. That is at the Gingham Alter Show. You can also uh, find the recipes for all the things that we bake in the show notes each week. And our theme music is Cheery Monday by Kevin McLeod from Acompetech.com, licensed under a Creative Commons 3.0 Attributions License. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. Until next time, it's Megan. And Mac. Wishing you a lovely bake.